Hey guys, welcome back to the Max Spence Business Podcast. Today we have a very special guest. But before I jump into this podcast, if you guys like the content I'm putting out, the people I'm interviewing, uh, you know, please like, subscribe, leave a review. It helps out a lot with the podcast and also the people that are coming on the show. If you can go over to uh, Apple Podcasts and actually leave a review, that will help out a tremendous amount. So uh, if you can, you know, please do that. Uh, but without further ado, uh, today's guest is uh, Dennis Geelin. So um, yeah, the, the reason. <laughs> so my, my previous guest was called Glenn. So I'm just trying to make sure that I didn't say Dennis Glenn or anything <laughs> like that, mixing up the name. But uh, yeah, so he is. So Dennis is actually the founder of uh, Zero In Consulting. So uh, they're a firm focused on helping your business and organization be as customer centric and innovative as possible. He's also the author of the Zero In Formula and a contributor uh, for Entrepreneur. So his book is actually uh, has just been released in the audio version. Uh, so if you know if you guys uh, are interested and uh, you know you want to check out what he's doing, I highly re recommend uh, you know buying his book um, and, and reading through it. Uh, but yeah, so why don't we jump right into this? Uh, going into an intro, you know about uh, you know who you are uh, for people people that maybe sure. don't know who you are. Uh, what's your background and what got you into you know starting your company uh, you know zero in and working in the you know customer centric and you know uh, that sort of space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know what? Out of all the uh, interview questions, this is always the one that's yeah. that's the toughest, right? Telling your story. Where do you start? And and so for me, it's 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 one of those um, um, stories of of what happened over time. So once upon a time, I, I was one of those people that kind of subscribed to the you know, uh, the path that society says we're all supposed to take, right? You go to school, you go to post-secondary school, you get your education, then you get a job, and then you buy a house, and then you have a family, and then you work for 40 years and save for retirement, right? That's kind of the script that we're all supposed to follow. That's the safe, easy path. Um, and that was me. So, um, you know, got my degree in, in computer science, um, got a job as a software engineer, worked my way up into uh, different leadership positions at different companies and was enjoying myself. Um, but after so long in a certain position with a certain company, there's always that, okay, what else? There's always that itch for, is there really a purpose here? Is there really a passion and a, and a direction, right? Every time you start a new uh, role somewhere, there's that initial, okay, yeah, there's a challenge here and it's rewarding, but eventually that wears off. You plateau, you get to a point where, okay, what else is there for me? So it wasn't until I was in my late thirties, probably early forties, where I started to consider maybe being an employee is not the final destination for me. Maybe it's starting my own thing, All right? I, I've had 20 years of experience now and, um, Maybe it's time to jump off and start my own consulting business. I always kind of had that, that dream. Um, but there was that lure of, but wait, you're not supposed to. You're supposed to be an employee and you're supposed to take this safe route. And it wasn't until I was 43 and for the first time ever lost my job, was let go from a company. Never happened to me before. Um, and my immediate reaction was, boy, you know, I've been working nine to five, Monday to Friday, since I was 20 years old, I need to get right back into that routine. Um, but my wife encouraged me to hold on, 
take, take, take some time and think about it. You've wanted to start your own company. Maybe now's the time. And with her encouragement, I'm, I'm glad I did. So it was, it was uh, about two and a half years ago that I started Zero In. And um, I've had to learn a lot about uh, running your own business. Very different from being an employee, but loving the journey so far. So I don't know if that answers your question, but that's kind of the, you know, no, long-winded no, no, way that, of that, saying that, uh, yeah, no, no, that a hundred percent. Yeah. That that's, that, that, that's amazing answer to it. Uh, yeah. It's just, you know, understanding, just getting more context for people that, you mm. know, maybe never heard of you. Uh, okay. So yeah, so you, you spent like, you know, the, the 20 years in, um, in, in sort of the, the, the employee sort of space. And then you sort yeah. of decide to make that transition into yeah. the entrepreneurial, uh, yes. land. Uh, so what made you go down the route of going, uh, like uh, starting a consulting firm one. And then the second yeah. one is, um, why focusing on a uh, customer, you know, customer relations and uh, innovation within, you know, customer sure. retention and building a good, a uh, loyal, uh, you know, pretty much, uh, I, I saw that on your LinkedIn, uh, it said fan base, uh, which I want to mm -hmm. jump into later. And uh, I've yeah, got yeah. some interesting questions on that. Perfect. I love interesting questions. Yeah. So in this case, um, I guess over my, my probably throughout my thirties, I started to start to really dive into a lot more self-awareness, a lot of personality tests, a lot of different things that work, um, through, uh, different, um, um, em employers that I had were, you know, you were really encouraged to understand who you are, your strengths, your weaknesses, and who your, your coworkers were. And me being in a leadership position, extremely important to understand the people that work with me, uh, what are their strengths and weaknesses? So I learned very, you know, diligently over time who I was. And I was somebody who likes to problem solve. I was somebody who likes to teach. Those were my main strengths. Um, I was very good at relationships, building relationships and, um, and really cultivating relationships. So for me, you put those things together well that's that's consulting that that problem solving part i love working with new clients all the time and really understanding their unique challenges that's that problem solving part the teaching part well that that's going right along with consulting here's here's the formula that i use i'm going to teach you how to do this in your business we're going to figure out together how it uh, needs to uniquely fit with you and what you do and the building relationships part obviously that's a that's a must um, whenever you have your own business, it's it's all about your network, right? So that was kind of how I landed on, this is me, this is my passion, this is my strength. So this this lines up perfectly. Okay, okay, awesome. Awesome. And and, and then so, uh, so with that, and that sort of, you know, push, well, well, that you sort of realize that like, okay, consulting is probably one of the best places for me to go uh, yeah. and open a business in. Uh, and then what's the customer centric and innovative part? Um, how did right, that so right. like, w with your company that is that the main focus of the business is really helping uh, other businesses and organizations yes. really build um, you know, their business around the customer, uh, yeah. and, you know, understanding their customers so they can market their services and products better, uh, and actually help their customer out more. Yeah. Yeah. I would say it's two things. One, I really enjoy those things. Uh, my software engineering background, you know, a lot of innovation I was exposed to innovation principles, innovation practices. And I think a lot of businesses just are not innovative enough. In fact, they're, they're probably more stubborn or complacent which is the opposite of in innovation. So uh, love teaching them how to, to do that. And on the customer centric side, I mean, um, 
if you don't have customers, if you're not there to serve your customers, you're eventually setting yourself up for failure. So I, I strongly believe if you look at the most successful businesses over time throughout history, they have those two main ingredients in common. They are extremely customer centric, right from why they exist, the roles and responsibilities they have set up in their company is all about understanding and serving the customers. The tools and strategies they put in place is about understanding their customers and finding better ways of serving them. And then the innovation side, they're always pushing, how can we do this better? How can we do this differently? How can we add more value? You, you add those two things together. And I think that's just a recipe for long-term success. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and when you were saying that uh, the, the first sort of company that popped to my mind was Amazon of how, yeah. how, how, how well they know, uh, I've seen a few different documentaries and watched a few, you mm -hmm. know, YouTube videos and people talking about it and how well they have, you know, like literally they're combining in like innovation with like, you know, software to have like a database of pretty much understanding you to a T that like, um, yeah. I was actually talking to one of my friend's dads about it and he he's somebody that likes things that are on sale right or things that are reduced or something like that like you know where you feel like you're oh you're saving money so what will happen is when he's on amazon uh they will show him certain products that are you know uh it yep. might like he I, I don't know if they I don't know if the actual price is even reduced or it's like if there's actually a sale going on or they just show it to <laughs> like, that's the advertisement. They show right. it in that certain way uh, that's yeah. saying, Hey, you know, get, you know, like these three, you know, buy two shirts, get one free, or, you know, buy these pair of shoes. They're 20% off right now. And this right. is the original value. You know, they're $200. Now they're like, you know, like 160 or 180, right. Yeah. Or whatever. Um, so it, it was, it was really interesting, like hearing what you're saying with that and how well, uh, Amazon has done that with their customer focus. Yeah. Um, and that's why they're one of the most successful companies in the world is because sure. they spent the time innovating and then also pairing that with uh, yeah. a great, you know, customer understanding. Yeah. So I, I, and, I and, and Amazon is, is like the obvious example, but yeah. the counterpoint a lot of people have is okay, but look at Amazon, look at the resources they have. But my, my counterpoint to that would be, yeah, look at Amazon. Look how they started. In the beginning, it was Jeff Bezos in his garage, right? Selling books online. But his whole intention was not to sell books online. It was to understand how do people buy online? Why do people buy online? What attracts them? It wasn't about selling the books. It was about collecting information about those people and their buying habits to get to understand them, to get to know them. Books was just the original test pilot. Right. And then it became, OK, now that we understand how people buy and why people buy and what attracts people to buying, let's start start trying to sell some other things and let's get innovative with what we can do with this business. So Amazon, what you see today is the product of being extremely customer centric and innovative, starting extremely small, but being really good at it and expanding out. So my, my counterpoint to, to people is always, OK, what's your starting point? How can you be more customer centric and innovative in your business and then expand it over time? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that sort of correlates to what, uh, when I was reading your LinkedIn was, you know, you start with the foundation, right? And that's yeah. sort of what Jeff Bezos did was he started with the foundation. What, what is the foundation of this business? What are the most important keys that yeah. are sort of going to push this business for the most? Uh, yeah. and what, what do we have to understand? And that would be, you know, the customer and understanding how they buy and how to sell to them the best way. So they will actually, you know, actually buy the product or, or, or 
or bringing a product to them that they need at the right time uh, in the easiest way possible, mm -hmm. which, which they have, which they do really amazing. So yeah. I, I, I want to jump now to um, why do you think, you know, uh, you know, if you look at the statistics, like the majority of businesses fail, at, you know, in after 10 years or in 10 years, right? Uh, mm -hmm. After five years, it's crazy. Like, uh, you know, the amount of businesses that aren't still around. So what, what do you think uh, is the big deciding factor that leaves a lot of businesses to failing uh, on the customer side? Um, you know, mm -hmm. wh why do these businesses fail? And, and, and what, what would you do if you were you know, starting a new business? Yeah. To me, there, there's two major mistakes or challenges or issues or temptations, however you want to put it, that most businesses fall into. Some recognize it and fix it. Some don't. Um, but yeah, like you were saying, the stats are incredible. The failure rate of new businesses is, is through the roof, right? And I believe that it's because they fall into these, these two issues. One, um, they either start out or they become too inward focused. It becomes about our product, our service, right? How do we um, tweak it? How do we make it better? How do we tell people more about it? Um, and my my again my counterpoint to that is people do not buy your product or service they buy what your product or service can do for them focus on them focus on the challenges that you're solving for people focus on the problems that you're now cutting away right how are you adding value don't focus so much inwardly um, but the temptation becomes that over time right you see a little bit of success and now it's uh, okay what was our quarterly revenue numbers how do we increase that how do we put out a new version of our app, our, our product or whatever to tweak it or whatever. And instead it should be who are, who's buying our stuff? Why are they buying our stuff? What don't they like about it? What can we make a little bit better and, and keep that outward focus, right? So that's, that's problem. Number one, the temptation to become too inward focused over time. I think problem number two is, as um, businesses start to become successful, they start to have their way of doing things, right? We've got to year number five, or we've got to year number 10. We must be doing something right. These are our processes. This is our structure. This is how we do things around here, right? This is the way we've always done it. You start to hear those types of things and maybe they're right. Maybe that's working right now, but things change so fast and disruptors around every corner, right? A new competitor comes along that finds a new, better, cheaper way of doing something. You have an economic downturn. You have a pandemic, right? There's disruptors around every corner. If you are too structured uh, or too stubborn or too complacent, then you're eventually setting yourself up for failure. Something's gonna come along and disrupt you and steal your customers. So that's where the innovation side is so important having that culture of innovation where you're not reactively coming up with ideas you are intentionally proactively coming up with new ideas and not every idea is going to be successful but you've got this culture of coming up with new innovative ways of serving your customers and that is uh, is going to serve you much much better over time yeah yeah 100 percent uh, and uh one thing that i've heard from uh, other entrepreneurs uh is that like th they always say innovator die innovator die mm -hmm. and i i think that is very very true it's like you know like you're saying there's always going to be the new kid on the block 
yeah. that's gonna that's trying to you know do it in a different way trying to do it cheaper trying to do it better yeah. trying to you know pretty much take your clients right and yeah. you know so having understanding that you know because like at the end of the day people are going to be loyal like if you built a 10-year relationship with somebody people are going to be loyal but at the end of the day if they you know if somebody else comes along and they're doing it one better and they're doing it cheaper at the end of the day it's still like you know comes down yeah. to money it comes down to performance all that sort of stuff so you yeah know, that might you, you might hold on to them for a bit, but over the long yeah. term, you're not going to hold on to that uh, when, customer. When client. you look at the um, concept of loyalty, I think it has really changed over the years, right? Back when things didn't quite move as fast, when change wasn't around every corner, um, because we didn't have the internet in, in the digital age and the technology we have, um, loyalty, I believe, was kind of passed down, right? We go to this restaurant every Friday night for supper because my parents always took us there. So now we do it, right? I bank with this bank because my grandparents had their bank accounts there and my parents had their bank account. And it was just tradition. It was passed down and this loyalty was just inherited. I don't think it works like that anymore. Maybe a little bit, maybe in the beginning, but because things change so fast and because there's so many other options out there and because there's an awareness of all the other options out there because of the internet you can just google whatever you want and see hey here's my 10 options in front of me and i can easily um, compare them loyalty is now what are you doing for me how do you know who i am and how are you giving me that experience that resonates with me so that's where being customer centric and designing the experience for your ideal customer is so critical yeah 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 it's 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 crazy that like um, the influence of people have when they, when they go, when they go into a shop or when they go into a place or before they decide to do something, the first thing they do is they pull out their phone and they Google it. They look sure. at reviews, they look at, you know, prices, they look at, you know, past performance of the business. Right. Yeah. So if, if you're not operating in that space, uh, you know, on those sort of platforms on social media or on those sort of on Google or wherever else that the majority of people are looking for these answers, um, you know, people aren't, people aren't going to stay loyal to that. Cause like, why would they stay with the pizza place that's charging $30 when they can get a better pizza for $15? Right. Unless that pizza place is so good and really resonates with you and, and they're doing an extremely good job on customer experience, people will pay more for a great experience that resonates with them. If there's nothing that differentiates them, then yes, why would you pay more? If I can go next door and get the exact same experience and a cheaper price, I'm going next door. Yeah, yeah, hundred uh, percent. So uh, I, I know we touched on a, a, a lot of reasons, uh, but there might be still some people that are maybe listening to this thinking like, well, wh why do you need to be customer focused? And like, why is that so important? Um, mm -hmm. You know, like right now I, I have a business and people are already buying my product and everything's going well. Uh, I know that, like you were saying, it's like, you know, things change so quickly, but what, what, why, why is it so important to be customer focused? Uh, like, like, I think it goes back to what we were just saying. There's so much choice and so much option out there, right? Like, for example, when I was writing my book, it's one thing for me to say, Hey, here's all my thoughts. Here's all of uh, um, the formula that I use when I'm working with companies to help them be as customer centric and innovative as possible and just put the information out there. But is that how people want to read? What do people find engaging in a book? How does it help them stick? So I did all kinds of different surveys, all kinds of different interviews, all kinds of different beta tests and readers to find out what is it going to be in the book that's really going to make you want to read it. And 
doesn't matter how great I think it is when I write it. It's how great do you think it is when you read it? That's what's most important. It's the same thing about any product or service. It doesn't matter how great I think it is when I produce it. It's what is it doing for you when you buy it? So staying on top of that is critical. Understanding that and being in touch with that and constantly tweaking that and making it better is critical to make sure that you're creating that loyalty and that fan base because now they feel like, wow, he gets me and I have a stake in how this is going to work and how this is going to be produced because I'm, I'm the consumer. Yeah. Yeah. So with that, um, what, what are some steps that you can do as a business, right? Like your advice to a business right now that they can, what, what are some steps that they can, actional steps they can put in place uh, to start becoming more customer uh, centric and more customer focused? Is it, you know, doing having Q and A's send out by, you know, email uh, or, you know, is it like having uh, polls done with inside the, you know, on social media for their company pages? Uh, what, yeah. what, what are, what are some pieces of advice that you would give? Yeah, when it comes to surveys and polls, you, you got to be careful. People are inundated with that nowadays, right? Um, the only people that I poll or survey or interview are people that I have a deep relationship with, right? If I go to a store and I, you know, I go to that store once or twice a year and I buy something and then they send me a survey, I'm probably not all that inclined to fill it out. And I don't have a relationship with that store. I just happen to buy batteries there because they were on sale. I don't need to give you my two cents about my experience buying those batteries. But if I have a deep relationship with one of my clients, I'm going to reach out to them specifically and say, hey, I'd really like your feedback on that. So um, when, when it comes to feedback and surveys, I say be careful. Uh, don't just mass throw a bunch of stuff out there. What I think works really well, um, if you're an established business already, you probably have data right? Some kind of data about who's buying your, your products or service. When are they buying it? Where are they buying it? How are they buying it? Get to understand that data. It's going to tell you stuff, right? There's going to be things that you find out, oh, these types of people don't resonate with my product or service. Why? Are they not my ideal customer? Okay, so then don't have my marketing um, focus on those people, right? When are they buying? How are they buying? All that kind of stuff you need to understand and then tweak your business to make sure you are resonating with, with the right people. So, so data is critical. And you've probably got it either in a CRM or some sort of POS or some way that or you see some transaction data, harness it and, and understand it. Um, and I think probably more important is find ways to empathize with your customers. The biggest way I think you can do that is become one of your customers. If you are a chiropractor, spend some time in your own waiting room. What's it like in there? What does it feel like? Is the atmosphere nice? Was it easy to book, right? What, what does it feel like to be one of your customers, right? If you're buying something, if you sell something online, go through the experience of buying online on your own site. What's clunky? What's easy? What would be better? Really put yourself in your customer's shoes or have some of your closest um, trusted you know, mentors or confidants go through that and let them know uh, how it feels to be one of your customers. Somebody that's going to be honest and upfront with you. The more you can empathize with the customer experience, the better. So just a couple ways that you can, you can make your, your company more customer centric.
Yeah, yeah, I, I, I actually like that a lot is actually being when you have a business, right, running, th running through your own process of, you know, from everything from the marketing to the ad, uh, I mean, like to the ad, like to the, let's say if you're the buying process, was it easy? Was it simple? Uh, you know, was there any like hiccups with it? You know, was it like, how did I feel when I bought it? You know, what were some things that actually slowed me down from buying it? And, and why am I actually buying this in the first place? Like what, what, why would I want your service anyway, or your product yes. anyway? That, that one is critical. Yeah. And I think that's probably, that's probably the main one of starting a business, right? It's like you start a business to solve a problem um, right. or, or to provide something to somebody. Uh, Hopefully. To uh, yeah. <laughs> I think that the businesses that don't make it past year one uh, are probably in it for all the wrong reasons, right? Yeah. I'm starting a business because I want to make money. I'm starting a business because I want to be an influencer or I want to be famous or I want to, be, if that's your motivation, well, good luck getting off the ground. It's yeah. got to be about there's a problem out there and I'm going to solve it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and understanding the who, who are the people that are actually having this problem or yes. the companies that are having this problem. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I, I want to jump into uh, I, I don't know with your company that uh, do you have like a lot of psychological stuff that you use to like understand uh, how, you know, people buy and how what resonates with brand and why do people resonate with certain brands? Uh, do you go into that, that sort of area? And, uh, can we actually, if, if you do, can I actually pick your brain on that? So what I like to do is first spend some time understanding if you're an existing business, let's understand your current customers. Let's look at your different customer segments. And then within those segments, let's look at those different personas. And then let's try and empathize as much as we can with those personas. Who are these people and what are their needs? The next step is really diving into, um, there's, there's a, uh, I guess you would call it a, a, a theory or a practice called jobs to be done. Uh, it was really something that was introduced by Clayton Christensen, um, former author and, and Harvard business professor. I think he just passed away earlier this year or last year, actually. But he, uh, he really came up with this in his book called Competing Against Luck. And he was saying, yes, it's good to know who your customers are, but just saying somebody who's in their mid thirties, who's a male, who has two kids and drives a sedan is not going to, you know, that doesn't mean everybody who fits that mold is your ideal customer, right? It's taking that next step further. And what are the jobs to be done? Why, what jobs are they hiring your product or service to do for them? And once you really start to harness that, it opens up a whole new world of, okay, this is why we're really here. So I go through a process with my business clients after we understand who their customers are, let's really dive into the jobs to be done. And there's a, there's a great book by Jim Kalbach called the jobs to be done playbook, where he kind of walks you through good ways to do this. Um, there's a guy that I connected with last year named Eckerd Boehm out of Germany. He's created something called the wheel of progress where he actually walks through with businesses as well through his own tool, how to figure out the jobs to be done. Why are people using their product or service? I take a little bit of a, a lighter approach. It's not as heavily process oriented, but same kind of output is what are the jobs that people are hiring your product or service to do for them? And we come up with a bunch of different job statements. And then from there, it's okay. Now, how do we innovate on that? I'm sure there's other people that are, are, are other companies that are already fulfilling those jobs. How do we do it differently? How do we do it better? How do we do it more efficiently? How do we do it more uniquely? Whatever, what's our differentiator? Um, if we go back to the chiropractor example, 
in my hometown, I can drive down the main street and there's four chiropractors in, you know, a row of about three intersections. I can drive past four. Well, why, what would make me want to go to this chiropractor instead of this one? What's the differentiator? What's the difference? So yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, finding uh, that. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, it's it's, uh, and that's very interesting. Um, what what you brought up there was, um, well, this is previously what you said. I, I want to sort of jump to this is, uh, building your customers into fans. Um, and I've sort of seen this at uh, a social media level, uh, a bit with YouTube and social media content of, um, you know, one guy called Logan Paul, um, and you, you've probably heard about him. And stuff. Yeah. yeah he, he's all of the the media and stuff but uh i i like he, he is he he's very in the media and there's a lot of contrict uh uh different reviews of how people think about him uh but i do think uh, i actually saw a youtube video that actually changed my perspective on it of how uh how he actually runs his business right and what like he uh i don't know if this is intentionally or this is just how it's evolved for him but he's pretty much in the process of creating these called super fans. And I believe there's a book called uh, super fans or, or something like customers or something. I, I can't remember the exact title of the book, uh, but it's about creating these super fans that are, you know, super, you know, they, they love everything about you. They're on your side, no matter what. Um, and they will support you and they will buy products from you. And it, and it taught like in the video, it talked about from somebody that's, you know, somebody that's, you know, uh, just seeing your content, maybe watches your content, you know, uh, every now and then, or maybe sees your content. So they sort of know who you are to, you know, then a fan that's somebody who's like, you know, let's say subscribed, yeah. uh, they follow your content. Um, maybe they might buy one or two things from you. And then to the super fan, which, you know, will spend, you know, let's say a hundred dollars a year or 200 or 300 or whatever amount of money consistently every single year on your products or service. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I wanted to jump into that. Um, and, and, and what are your sort of thoughts in that area? And, and how do you actually build that it, your customers into super fans? Yeah. Or, or fans? For, so for me, because I'm a consultant, it's about relationships, right? If I was selling widgets, that's a little different, right? For me, I'm selling myself and my services. So if I stick to that example, for me, it's, it's building a lot of deep relationships with the right people. So for example, with my book, that is a widget, that is a commodity, but they would only buy it if they know me or they've heard through others that, hey, Dennis Geelan uh, has this great formula for making your business as customer-centric and innovative as possible. Most people aren't just gonna stumble across a book, look at the title and say, I want that. There's gotta be some sort of cachet, some sort of relationship behind it. So what do I do? Uh, for example, I just ran a poll on social media, just asking people, what's your favorite way to read books? Is it ebook? Is it a physical book? Is it an audio book? And a bunch of people were answering the polls and giving their take as to why and whatever. I just handpicked a few people that I'm not really connected with and reached out to them and said, hey, I, I see that you really enjoy audiobooks. And you mentioned that you really enjoy nonfiction audiobooks. Well, here's a free promo code to download a copy of my book. Wow, that was amazing. Why, why are you giving this to me? That just looked like it was something that would really resonate with you. Now, if that person listens to the book and loves it, they're probably a lot more likely now to become a fan of mine. They were hand selected. A relationship was built. They now know me. They feel like there's a stake in this. It was they were one of those people selected to listen to the book. 
they're probably a lot more apt now to go out and tell their friends and family about this book, right? So it's one at a time, it's relationships, it's really building that, but now they become that person where they tell their friends, they tell their families, because I built the relationship with them, they might do it with 12 people that they know. So I think that's, that's how it's really done is, is that personal, intimate relationship, uh, whatever level you can do that with what you're selling is, is important. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And do you think uh, a, a, an efficient way to do that would actually be through uh, creating content? Uh, and, and that's what I've sort of seen. And this is the thing I've found really interesting is a lot of people are pushing a lot of businesses um, or executives or CEOs are focusing on building personal brand one. Yes. And two is actually putting out content yes. uh, to sort of build sort of like per, more personal content, like yeah. from their sort of standpoint, so yes. people can understand them. Yes. Um, and I, I, I sort of my from my point of view, I think that's a very efficient way to, you know, get to that process of like, you know, uh, having them one know who you are and two you know seeing your personality and deciding if they actually like who you are and yeah. want to follow you for further um yes. so do, do you think that's a, a a very efficient way or what, what are your sort of thoughts on this well I, I i i think the stats tell us it is yeah. i mean especially in in the realm of video what easier simpler way to get to know somebody than watching them hearing them and seeing their hand gestures, listening to the inflection of their voice and understanding what's coming into their mouth, their values. Like video is such a great way to get to know somebody that you don't know. So no surprise that we have all these YouTube influencers. No surprise that TikTok has really taken off and the people that have taken off on TikTok, how are they doing it? It's, it's through them exposing themselves and in a way that people can resonate with them. If you go on YouTube and say, hey, buy my stuff, somebody's going to swipe to the next video, right? But if you go on there and you start talking about people, hey, you're a business owner and you've had this issue and you've really tried this and I understand that your, your customers aren't coming back and you have, whoa, this resonates with me. I'm going to watch this a little longer and see what this person has to say, right? And I have been there and I've been through that and here's what I've tried and I suggest you do that. Now they're a lot more captivated, right? Maybe not a great example, but, uh, you know, no, no, that's no, no. a lot. hundred percent. No, no. The, yeah. and, and, and I actually, I agree with that a lot. Uh, and the interesting thing I've actually seen is from, uh, and I follow it quite a bit is on like TikTok is these, uh, is these different people that are at a young age and they started on TikTok and they're just doing, uh, you know, dances or stuff like that. And everybody's thinking like, what, what is like, what is this? Like, why are people watching yeah. this? Uh, but then next thing you know, they've gathered, you know, it, they're still doing dances on TikTok, uh, but they gathered, you know, 15 million people or 10 million people that follow them. And then right. they start what they do is because they, you know, they have tons of comments, they have tons of data on these people that are commenting yes. on their picture, like on their videos and stuff like that and asking questions. Uh, they then take that and they start selling products to that audience, whether that yeah. be in a close, yeah. the majority of them will go into merch because it's the easiest one uh, that if somebody likes you, it's the easiest one that somebody can buy from you, you know, merch, a piece yeah. of clothing that's from, you know, the, some like from the creator that you love. Uh, but you're actually starting like that was sort of the earlier um, stages of it. And now everybody sort of does it. So it gets, it's getting saturated. Yeah. But now you're starting to see people going into like energy drinks and alcohol uh, and, you know, business products. And yeah, once, you, once you've once you built the following, I think yeah. that the trick is building the following. And I yeah. think where a lot of people go wrong is they put out the content about my product or service, bad. Um, 
they don't engage, right? People want engagement. So put out content that is adding value, right? Put out content where people can go, oh, that resonates with me. I understand that. Oh, that's a great uh, uh, nugget of, of information there. I can use that. I want to see what else this person has to say the next time they have a video come up. But if all you're doing is just posting, um, you're not really engaging. Now engage with other people's content. Engage with people through the, through the comments. Reach out to people individually. Start to build some relationships. It's going to take time, but eventually you are building you know, that, that following through building relationships and engagement. And I think the other big thing would be try and stick to a particular niche in the beginning. If you're talking about everything under the sun, um, what are you really known for? Right? If you look at Simon Sinek, he was known for the purpose guy. It, his whole thing was start with why. And he did TED Talks and he wrote the book and that was his thing. And he, he created this big following. Now he can talk about anything he wants, right? But you have to start somewhere. You got to break through that wall and become known for a particular, you know, genre, a particular niche, a particular piece of content and really resonate with people and build those relationships. And once you break through that wall, now you can start selling the energy drinks or talking about whatever you want because you've built the following. Right? So. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And, and I agree with that. Uh, and that's actually something I've noticed with this own podcast uh, is that I, I wanted it to be um, to be a podcast that I could reach out to a lot of different people. Uh, but understanding that on a level is that this podcast isn't going to grow as fast if I'm a specific, you know, uh, for a show for con consultants, different consultants come yeah. on, or I'm for real estate, or I'm for the financial market, or I'm for a clothing line, right? Where, yeah. you know, like with this one, I've interviewed so many people. Uh, and, you know, it's from everything from, a, you know, a TikTok influencer to, uh, you know, a CEO and founder of a massive real estate investment firm. Um, you know, and it's, it, that's a broad, you know, range, right? So that's what I've sort of seen is that like the people that are watching my, or like consuming my content will consume certain content. So some of it, like the real, like the real estate stuff, uh, does better because my audience is more real estate based right sure. now. Right. Yeah. So those videos do a lot better. Uh, yeah. but there's still, you know, let's say I'm another base is starting to go into health and fitness where I've interviewed a few people on the health and fitness side and that base is starting to uh, to gain as well. But, yeah. you know, it's understanding, like you said, is it's like at the beginning. Uh, and this is the thing I, I'm, I'm not too, I'm not too sure if, uh, you know, I, I should, um, go more specific, right. More, uh, narrow, but at the same point, uh, I, I, I really enjoy having these conversations with a lot of different people, uh, yes. and getting sort of their different points of view. And I yeah. think in a certain aspect that, um, my listeners are going to be able to, you know, listen to somebody about, you know, real estate investing and then consulting and then, you know, investing in the market, the stock market or bonds or et cetera. And then also health and fitness as well. Uh, but you know, it's going to take time to do that. Um, for sure. I mean, it, it, it kind of takes us back to our original discussion here about Amazon. They started with books. Mm -hmm. There was a reason for that. Right. They want to get good at one thing, really understand it and then break through. Same thing with Simon Sinek, different, different whole business model, but started with one thing. So anything you're starting, I would say, get as specific as possible. It seems counterintuitive, right? But there's a whole other, you know, large percentage of the population that I'm now not targeting and I could, but that's not the way it works. People don't resonate with, you know, the, the general store. 
right? They resonate with the, this is the store that sells the stuff I love. If you, if you look at Starbucks, right? They have a very specific customer experience that was designed to resonate with a specific type of customer. And it works. Those people yeah. are there and they're willing to spend $5 for a coffee rather than going to Tim Hortons for $2 because Starbucks is my store. It resonates with me. And who cares if Starbucks doesn't re resonate with a bunch of the other population? They don't care. They're doing really well with their ideal customer. So it's just proven itself over and over time. Get narrow, get really good at it. And then you can see how does this scale? How can I move out into different um, segments, different personas, different products and services, but you got to start narrow. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so w with that, I, I, I actually want to jump to uh, cultivate. I know we only have a couple minutes left, but I, I want to yep. jump to cultivating, uh, you know, innovation with inside your teams and employees yep. uh, and how you go about doing that. Yeah. Yeah, I would say there's a, there's a few different principles. One, you, you want to have this proactive mindset and this intentional mindset. So set up um, innovation meetings. Make, make sure you're intentional about it. Let's get together every week, every two weeks, whatever, and have innovation meetings. Now, if you have no idea how to have an innovation meeting, do some research, look at some different best practices. In my book, I give all kinds of different examples of, of what you can do, but learn from it. And in the beginning, you might really suck at innovation, but get better. Um, be as diverse as possible. Bring people in from different backgrounds, different perspectives, different parts of the business. If you're a larger organization, bring people from frontline, people from finance, people from marketing, whatever, because everybody's going to have a different perspective on how to solve this problem. And that's good. You want as many different perspectives as possible. Come up with as many ideas as possible. Right? Don't limit yourself and say, hey, we found a good idea, let's stop. No, go for 50 ideas. And then when you're all done, you can have an, a, a discussion on, well, what are the top three? And then finally, go small. There's this big, you know, we have a great idea, let's go all in, it's, it's uh, you know, go big or go home. But when it comes to innovation, I would say, in this room, in this meeting, you came up with this idea. You have no idea if this really actually resonates with your ideal customer or not. So how do we pilot it? How do we do spend as little amount of time and money and effort to get something in front of our customer to say, hey, how does this look? How does this feel? What's your feedback on this? And then learn and test and go. So you can get good at innovation if you're doing it intentionally and you're doing it proactively, but it has to be intentional and proactive. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that, 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 is, that is some solid piece of advice right there. And, and I actually like that is like having those, you know, maybe weekly or biweekly meetings of actually spending, you know, an hour to an hour and a half with your team. And, and yeah. this is probably, this is like at, at all stages, this is crucial. But at the beginning, this is probably really, really crucial is spending those times of like, okay, we've got an idea or we've actually started a service or a product. Uh, how can we start building on this? How can we start adding? Yeah. How can we start making yeah. small tweaks that make it better for our customers and more simpler and everything of that nature, yeah. uh, which, I, which I think is really, really great advice. And then, you know, what you're saying is actually then go break it down uh, and start small 
test it, yep. test it, test it with your, yep. uh, uh, like your audience or your customer, because, mm -hmm. uh, you don't know if it's going to work, right? If, yep. if you spend, you know, if you're like, Oh, this is a great idea. And then you spend, you know, three months building it out and then you try it on your customer and the customers don't like it. Then you're like, Oh wow. <laughs> then you're probably going to be tempted not to try innovation again. Yeah. Right. But it was your own mistake. We spent too much time and money on something. We really need to just get a prototype out there and get some feedback. So yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm working with a, a client right now where, they are intentionally doing innovation. Um, they do have group meetings. They just need a little bit more structure. So there's different, you know, frameworks out there you can use. Um, we're going to be doing some design thinking um, structure and try and put a better uh, methodology or practice in place for them to follow. But uh, I'm, I'm really impressed. Like they are very intentional and proactive about being innovative. So. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And, uh, yeah, as, as we're coming to the end here, uh, where can actually, uh, yeah, it's, it's one, it's been amazing talking with you and you're a wealth of knowledge, uh, on the customer centric and innovation, all that sort of, uh, that, and the consulting space, uh, where can people actually find out more about your company if they're looking to, you know, maybe bring you on as a consultant to help their business yeah. grow. Um, and also where can people find out uh, more about your book and, you know, the audio sure. that's out? Yeah. Yeah. So my website is uh, www.zero-in.ca. So Z-E-R-O-I-N.ca. On there, you can see um, there's a there's a link for the book. So you can see where you can get the ebook, the audio book, the paperback. Um, there's a services link there. I've also got a bunch of free templates. If you want to start doing some customer-centric um mapping who are our segments who are our personas what's our what's the current customer journey or experience look like all kinds of free templates on the website there and i've even got a an assessment tool if you're wondering because I'm, I'm i'm big on making sure that you build this into the foundation of your company if you're wondering how customer centric and innovative is my company right now take the assessment there's a free version you self-assess your, your company based on a bunch of different uh, questions, and it gives you back a score. Here's where you score high. Here's where you score low. Very important to make sure you're looking at your low areas and addressing those first, right? Where are we not customer-centric? Where are we not innovative? There is a premium or paid version of the um, assessment as well. It's only $29.95 Canadian, I think, but it, it will give you a more detailed report to say, okay, based on your score, here's what you should be doing next. So those are some great resources, I think, um, for anybody looking to, to make their business more customer-centric or innovative. Okay, awesome, awesome. Well, th th thank you again, Dennis, for coming on the show. It was amazing uh, you know, speaking with you and hearing your story. Uh, guys, if you've made it to the end of the podcast, thank you very much for listening all the way through. Uh, if you can, you know, like, subscribe, leave a review. Uh, if you can go over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review as well, that will help out a ton. Uh, and yes, go check out uh, Zero In, uh, you know, Dennis's uh, company. Uh, you know, if I, I think the people that have made it to the end have actually listened all the way through, like the, the advice... Uh, that Dennis has given is actually pretty actionable and pretty good. Uh, so I think following up and maybe running that, um, the, the test that you were talking about and actually checking mm -hmm. out more, uh, I think can be very beneficial. But thank you again, uh, Dennis, for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks so much, Max. Great chatting with you. Awesome.